Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining me here today for our construction webinar series, uh, October edition. My name is Tashia Rasool. I am a partner here at Lois Law Firm, where I uh, oversee the defense of workers' compensation claims that arise uh, out of construction accidents. That's all I do. My focus is in construction accidents. That's what my team does also. All of the attorneys and paralegals are trained in handling these types of claims given the complexity and also the nuances that um, can arise uh, through, through litigation of the claims. We're also very familiar with the third party, also known as a general liability component that comes with these construction claims and work closely with general liability counsel to come up with a uh, collaboration, a good strategic plan for uh, decreased exposure and the best outcome for the claims. Um, I'm also the author of the firm's uh, construction handbook. Uh, it focuses on issues that we see all the time in litigating these uh, construction workers' compensation claims. And it's really a plain English guide. It talks about a lot of the things that we see. If you haven't received a copy, please let me know. I have hard copies and PDF copies also. For those of you joining me for the very first time, welcome. For those of you who have been coming back month after month, thank you for your continued support. All right, so let's get into it. Today we are going to talk about uh, coverage disputes. These come up all the time. I have so many cases where there's a coverage dispute, and it's usually, what is a wrap-up? You know, who is covered under the wrap-up policy? Who should be liable? Is it the wrap-up? or is it the operational policy? Most of my clients are wrap-up clients, so I'm always saying that it's the operational policy, but of course, the grand majority of times, uh, if there's coverage, it's ours, right? But there are a lot of times also where, especially for the occupational claims, we are contesting that it should be the operational policy that should be liable. So today we're gonna talk about who is covered in a wrap-up policy. There are exclusions that even though your policy uh, covers a job site, you could not be liable for the claim. We'll talk about what kind of coverage disputes arise in a workers' compensation claim. And in the end, there will be a Q&A session. It's live. Um, the box is going, oops, I did forget one. How do we prepare to address the coverage disputes? So at the end, the box is going to look like this. Just uh, type your question into there and hopefully I'll see it on my end. If we run out of time, I'll be free to, uh, feel free to uh, email me the question or I will um, uh, go back and reach out to you to provide an answer also. All right, so let's get into it. The wrap-up, also known as an OSIP or a CSIP. The OSIPs are the owner-controlled insurance policies and the uh, CSIPs are the contractor uh, controlled insurance policies. Most of the big projects in uh, New York City, I should say, are generally the OSIPs. In court, uh, the judges don't usually make a differentiation between the OSIP and the CSIP. Everyone throws around the term a wrap-up policy, which is not an incorrect term. It's just the general overarching term for these two types of policies. So I'll be using those terms interchangeably here, but I am still talking about the, the, the same concept, the wrap-up policy. So under the wrap-up, it's for a specific project. However, all of the employers that are on the project are not always enrolled 
in it. So if an accident occurs um, and one of those employees are uh, hurt in an accident and the employer is not enrolled, you could get out of coverage on that basis. So there's a formal process. It takes place when the uh, contractor or the employer is making an application to do work on the program and they must be accepted or, or be enrolled into the program to be covered. There will be a lot of non-enrolled contractors on a job site and it's usually, it, it's usually a special kind of uh, employer or trade that's not enrolled. It would be, for example, those doing work under a certain number of hours, under a certain uh, contract value, hazardous materials vendor, for example, asbestos removal, generally not covered. Sometimes elevators are not uh, covered on, on, on a wrap-up policy. A lot of times demolition is not covered in a lot of wrap-ups also. And every program is going to have a list of the type of trades or you know, the certain requirements uh, for which you would have to be enrolled or those where you would not have to be enrolled but you can still do work on the project. But if an accident occurs and one of your employees is injured, you would not be covered under the wrap-up program. So that's really the distinction here. Work can be done on the project, but that doesn't mean that there will be coverage under the wrap-up policy. The wrap-up program is for a specific, the wrap-up policy is for a specific project, right? It can be um, a, a different number of actual physical locations, for example, three different buildings across the city of Manhattan, or it can be for one particular location. It all depends on um, the specific type of project and how the policy is written. It's also for a specific time period. So it, the, the policies will say the exact time period that it's for. And work done after that time period, even if it's work on the project, may very well not be covered under the policy if it's outside of the time period. So this is something we should be very careful about. I've had a couple of cases where work was done during like the punch list phase, not really work, but the, you know there were some workers on the project and the specific policy did not cover the work or anything that's being done during the punch list phase. The claimant tripped and fell, allegedly brought the workers' compensation claim, and um, we wound up litigating the issue, and the judge ultimately found that because the policy did not cover during that period of time, it ended before then, the employer's operational policy was liable for the claimant's uh, injuries that resulted from that accident. So let's always uh, remember to pay attention to the policy period. I can tell you for certain one of the things that always happens in court is the judge or the adversary says, oh wait, it's a wrap-up, it happened in the project, the wrap-up should be liable. No, that's really not how it works. Um, you know, Everyone thinks that the wrap-ups are the, the deep pockets, so we'll just tag it on them. The judges don't want to deal with the issues and litigate the issues. Uh, so we have to be prepared to uh, provide and um, explain the proper coverage uh, to the judge, to the adversary, so as to um, not get claims tacked onto our policies unnecessarily. So coverage issues that arise that I commonly see are many. So the one that I talked about is that 
everyone assumes that if the contractor is doing work on site that they are you know enrolled in the project or that there is coverage for them but as I just indicated if they're not actually enrolled then there's really no coverage um, the date of loss uh, that's something to keep in mind um, not only for example the one where I just talked about you know work being done during the punch list period but sometimes you get weird things the date of loss is like the day before the policy started right or the date of loss is maybe like a year after the policy ended but the project is still uh, going on and when I say the, the, the policy ended for that employer the project is still going on we have to be very very careful about the date of loss that um, the accident allegedly occurred match it against the policy to make sure our policy actually covers that particular date of loss we've seen some really strange um, situations before where accidents occur allegedly occur the day before the project started the day after the project ended or the policy period ended not sure if it was planned um, what exactly happened there if it was coincidence or not but you know because we have a policy for 2020 doesn't necessarily mean it's actually going to cover we have to pay extra attention to when it starts and when it actually ends we should also be cognizant about the phase of the project for example if demolition is not covered under your project and the claimants going in making a claim for injuries that happened while demolition was going on that should definitely raise a red flag for us wait all right so he was on the project we have this policy that like spans the the date of loss that he's claiming but he was actually doing demo work demo is not covered under the policy so that's something we should be raising all issues and raising particularly coverage no coverage and contesting that so definitely pay attention to the phase of the project and the kind of work the claimant was actually doing okay so oops so the so one so another type of situation we've seen a lot recently and we've been able to prevail on the issue is that so the accidents do not occur on the job site they occur off the job site and the claimant is still trying to argue that it was during the course of or out of the course of employment right um, we have to be very careful about this because if it was an authorized break okay it may be compensable under workers compensation law but doesn't necessarily mean it would be compensable under your wrap-up policy the reason is and the argument that we've been making and the board has been agreeing with us so far is that our policy covers only the specific parameters of the project and I'm talking about you know it's between street A and street B Avenue 1 and Avenue 2 any accidents that occur outside of that parameter if it's across the street or even like the block over is not covered by the wrap-up and that should be tagged against the operational policy keep that in mind it has to be on the project we've had a couple of situations where you know the case comes into us and they're like yeah it was an authorized break I guess we're gonna be stuck with this reviewing the file taking a look at the policy uh, pinning where exactly the accidents happen and presenting our arguments to the board that our policy does not cover the parameters of um, the like where the accidents occurred and we've been able to prevail on a coverage issue so any of those um, we also have one where the claimant was uh, driving to another 
job sites under the direction of the employer, apparently to get pay stubs. It was payday and he was doing the employer favor uh, trying to get the pay stubs. Notwithstanding the fact that we were arguing it's not compensable because it's not work related, the accident did occur while he was in transit between the two job sites and we were able to successfully argue that the operational policy, if the claim, if the claim is found to be compensable, should be the liable policy for, for that accident. WCL section 56 issues, this is where uh, the employer or the subcontractor does not have workers' compensation insurance. And under section 56, liability would travel up to the general contractor. Um, even this particular situation, we have been arguing that section 56 would not apply and that um, because the, uh, the coverage is for the wrap-up program, uh, it's very specific as to who's going to be covered and who's not going to be covered, that if one particular non-enrolled employer does not have workers' compensation uh, coverage, it does not mean a wrap-up will cover it. So just to, spend, just, just, just to clarify that a little more, these arise in the situations where there is a non-enrolled uh, non employer working on the job site. So they're legitimately doing work there. You know, they're brought on to do, let's just say, um, asbestos removal. That's not covered under the project. But they're supposed to have workers' compensation insurance. Sometimes, it, it, you know, there's, there's like a little loophole and things. Not sure how it happens, but it was discovered that they didn't actually have a workers' compensation insurance at the time of the accident. Maybe their coverage lapsed or, you know, maybe they just didn't have it before they came on the project and it was an oversight by the project. In any, in any event, um, because they do not have workers' compensation insurance, it should not, the argument is it should not travel up to the wrap-up uh, program because the wrap-up is very specific as to the coverage. You must be enrolled, you must be doing certain kind of work, the parameters and all that stuff. So definitely, if you have a Section 56 issue in your case, you're like, all right, well, not enrolled, uh, there was no coverage, you know, as a general contractor, we have a CSIP, maybe we should be covering this. Let's pause, think about it, and remember that we should be following um, the, the, the rules of the program, which is the wrap-up rules, and still be making the argument that perhaps um, the UEF should be responsible for that claim. That's the uninsured employer's uh, fund. And I will let you know the UEF is going to fight back. They do not go down without a fight. So we have to be prepared to produce our witnesses, our underwriter, our policies, and so forth, to show the specificity in our coverage and to try to contest any Section 56 liability. How do we prepare to handle these coverage disputes? So we have to know who the policy covers, um, what the policy covers, what the claim is for, get all the policy documents in order. So one of the things that we tell our clients is, especially when there is a coverage issue, please send us the policy when you're sending us the referral. We always double check to make sure there is coverage. We do have some operational policies that we um, some operational policies that we defend, and to serve our clients the best, we try to make sure that the project in which they were doing the work was not covered by a wrap up. So we would be tagging liability onto the wrap up in that particular situation. 
And when my client is a wrap-up client, I would be trying to see if I can tag liability onto the operational policy. Listen, I don't want my clients to be liable for this claim, so I'm trying my best either way. So definitely send us the policy. Uh, if we have the name of an underwriter, we would like that name, um, especially in uh, when we're getting the referrals and submitting our denial documents because sometimes the judges in the coverage issues, they're not very picky about getting the names of the underwriters, especially when there's many carriers. However, some of them are very strict um, about the rules and you have to provide the name or you'd be precluded from having them to testify. Get all of the information from your wrap-up program, um, the client, you know, the general contractor regarding the who, the what, the where, the when, the why. Provide them to us, provide them to your attorney. They don't always have to be turned over to the board. Your attorney is going to help you uh, make a decision as to whether they need to be turned over to the board um, or whether we can withhold the information and still be able to make the argument. So we'll ensure that nothing's not Nothing that isn't supposed to be seen by others is seen by others. So we need the actual policy. Some of them are short and then others are hundreds of pages. Send us the entire thing. We take a look at them. Sometimes we see like odd provisions that could help our position or uh, provisions that could hurt our position. Whatever it is, we would like to, to, to see it and know about it ahead of time. The policy binder materials. This is something that's always referenced when we have conversations with the insurance carrier and the underwriter, but we never get the information. If we're being told that, you know, there's certain information in the policy binder documents regarding the specifics of the project or the kind of work, for example, sometimes the policy, most times the policy don't include language about what's covered and what's not covered. It would just say workers' compensation. So we would need the binder materials to uh, get information about what's actually covered and not covered. It's something we need. It's something we need to produce, um, especially when we're trying to get out on the basis that, you know, so something that's not in the policy. Because if, if we can't show it, we might be tagged with liability. The declaration sheets. The policy manual is very helpful. Some of our clients always send it to us at the beginning of the program because it generally doesn't change, but it has all of the details about, you know, what's the purpose of the program? What is it about? Who's going to be on it? The different phases, what's covered, what's not covered, what's the enrollment application process, all of the contact information we need. Remember a few months ago, we talked about who should be a part of your team, the wrap-up team. All of that uh, uh, contact information is usually in the policy manual also. So we keep it as an easy reference to get all of the basic information we need, and I think it's a very helpful document. So send those along to your attorneys. It's, um, it's something that can be used in so many ways in defending the claim. The enrollment log, uh, this is important because if we're claiming that the employer was not enrolled in the job site on a particular day, then you know there was no coverage. Um, the, the uphill battle with the enrollment log is that it is generally an Excel document and producing it to the board, we face the burden of provide, uh, um, proving that it is a legitimate unaltered document. So in providing the enrollment log, we should be provided with the name of someone who can testify as to the authenticity of the log and how it's actually updated. And it makes sense, right? Um, if it's an Excel, I, I, I'm, I, I don't do this, but I'm just saying that 
I or anyone else can easily remove the name of the employer and then produce it to the board. So we do find um, challenges with authenticating the enrollment uh, log. So I would recommend having a witness or having you know someone who is familiar with the process or who actually does uh, over oversee the updating of the log to be able to testify if we need it. All right, so those uh, that that's that's an overview on the coverage issues that we see. I can tell you one of the most frustrating things for me and our clients is that for the coverage issues, especially the ones where we have zero liability, they drag on. I have some of them that go on for more than a year because every time we go in, the, the claimants is saying that additional employer and carrier needs to be placed in notice. Or the carrier who was placed in notice at the last hearing come in and say, someone else needs to be placed in notice. I know it's very frustrating for um, the clients, especially when there's no liability because you're paying litigation costs, it's on your list of open cases, um, but we have seen success where getting all of the information ahead of time and even filing a request for further action before there's a hearing, requesting discharge and removal helps to speed up the process. What does this mean? We don't have to wait until the first hearing to address coverage. If we're aware of a claim and we know that we don't have coverage, the adjuster or your attorney, so us, we should be filing the RFA before the hearing, producing the policy documents, um, indicating who we believe the proper carrier should be, and this is really easy. You can do a coverage search on the board's website. Given the board as much information as policy, and we have seen a good number of cases where um, the board discharges and removes our policy even before the first hearing, and those are the best case scenarios. The other ones where we are pulled in halfway through the litigation, those are a little more challenging because now we have to go through uh, all of the hearings, and the judges usually don't want to discharge and remove a carrier until the, the proper carrier is actually on notice or until we take the claimant's testimony. But even in those particular situations, the more teed up you are to make the arguments and provide um, the policy documents and your witnesses, uh, the better a chance you have at getting discharged or moved sooner than later. So let's keep this in mind. The key is even when there's no exposure, um, I'm sorry, even when there's no coverage, you can still mitigate your exposure by saving on the litigation costs. Uh, preventing ourselves from being dragged through litigation, and it would be um, helpful to get all the documents ahead of time and submit them to the board, and then we just work through the process. All right, so that's it for today. I hope you're able to take away something regarding the coverage issues and the things that you need to send to your attorneys to defend them. Next month, uh, we are going to, oops, I did not change the date on there, I'm so sorry. So it's 2022. And it's the first Monday in November that we will be having the next uh, webinar. Um, I'll be talking about Kelly and Burns and how to use the credit to your benefit. I know this is, um, so I'm actually doing this again by popular um, demand. I, last November, I did a Kelly and Burns special because a lot of my clients wanted me to do a webinar that's focused on it. So I know it's not really construction oriented, but it's a, it's an issue that comes up a lot in our cases and calculating exposure, especially when we want to do the global settlement and we're talking about the lien, the lien recovery, lien waiver, and so forth. 
So I'll be talking about that. Uh, I'll be explaining what exactly it is, giving some examples and crunching some numbers with you to show you how it's very important to use this credit when calculating your potential exposure when negotiating potential settlement with the claimant. And this is going to also um, stream over to negotiations in the general liability side. All right, so I'll see you here uh, next month. It's the first Monday, 12 p.m. Sorry about the typo there. Uh, happy fall, happy October, enjoy your Halloween, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.